Let's pray. Father, for your word, we thank you tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you took the time to write it. Took the time to call men and women and and others into your will and, and to voice what you wanted to say in this world. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the author and you're the one who ought to be teaching it. And I ask you to do that tonight. Reveal to us what you would have us to know. Reveal to us what you would 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 have us to walk in because we want to obey you in what you say tonight. We want to be more than just hearers, but we want to be doers of the word of God. Father, we thank you. We honor you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, <clears throat> you know, the older I get, the more I think about heaven. Anybody like that? Yes. You know, every time... One of, one of my friends goes to heaven. I think, man, it's not a bad deal to get to go to heaven. Uh, you know, and it would be a great thing if the Lord would just come and tell us exactly the day that he's going to return. And so we'd know whether to hang on for the rapture or not. And uh, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if we just knew. Well... You're not going to know. I'm just going to tell you. Jesus said in Mark Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The Father is the only one who knows when the rapture occurs. He's the only one. We don't get to I remember back in, in, in 1988. You're all old enough to remember this probably. A guy wrote a book. He was a mathematician. He wrote a book, and it says 88 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 88. I mean, and he had it mapped out just for us, and that we knew that, that I think he picked the day and the hour, in fact, in, in that 88 reasons, Jesus coming back in 88. And uh, it, was, it was the number one selling Christian book of the year. I mean, he sold them all the time. Then back in 2011, another mathematician decided that Jesus was going to come back in May of 2011 and I mean it was on the news and everybody was was waiting you know and and uh, he didn't come back then either he didn't come back because of that day and hour no man will know now we'll know the season Jesus told us in Matthew 24 certain things that will happen that we'll know that the time is coming he he gave us signs so we would know but but these people who give exact predictions it's a waste of time why do you why do you think God would tell us that? Well, back in '88, Christians who thought they were going to heaven on, on that September day, back in about the first part of the summer, booked all their vacations on their credit cards. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? This really happened. They, they thought we're not going to have to be here to pay for it, so we're just going to go ahead and go to heaven. So they, they they maxed out their credit cards. I mean, we had friends that made made video recordings for their families. One family we know, one couple we know, they, they made a video for their parents because they weren't Christians and they were saying, Mom and Dad, if you're watching us, we're in heaven, sorry. You know, you're here. And, and, and so uh, here's how you can get here later maybe. Anyway, that's why he didn't tell us. But, I mean, the Lord knows that, that Christians are flaky sometimes. You know, and they'd go out and... I mean, if you knew, if you knew that in three months time was coming... You might drive a different car. You might live in a different house. Who knows what you might do? But that's not going to do what we're sent here to do. That's not going to do what we're supposed to be doing. 
All right. I mean, we don't want that. Thinking all the time about the rapture or trying to predict the rapture or, 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 or dying and going to heaven, what that does is, especially those silly predictions, what it does is distracts the church from our purpose. Our purpose is to expand the kingdom of God. That's why we're in the earth is to expand, enlarge the kingdom. That's what God wants from the church is expanding the kingdom, making it bigger, uh, plundering hell and populating heaven, uh, making it, th that's the primary purpose we're here. I mean, we've got to be focused on the task at hand. And if we knew that we were leaving for heaven tomorrow, we might be focused not on bringing people with us, but finishing everything up. I don't know what we'd be doing. So we don't know that time. He, he knows that. We need a move of God in our land. I mean, we need a revival to take place. The church needs to live again. That's what revival means. Revive means to live again. The church needs to live again, come to life again. I mean, a revived church, we found this out uh, a while back, a revived church, a revival will catch the attention of the media. I mean, that little that thing in, in, in Kentucky, I mean, the media was all over that. And then they, they were reporting on it every day, and everybody was talking about it. Uh, just think, if we had a real, and that was, I'm not saying that wasn't real, that was very temporary, apparently, I don't know, I haven't heard anything about it in months, it's short-lived, but if there, a real revival is going to really last a long time, and it's going to affect whole cities and whole, whole areas around them, and the media will get on top of that, and, and people will begin to hear about what Jesus is doing, especially if that revival is accompanied by miracles and signs and wonders. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, we, we need that. The church, ne the church needs to be, the church needs to be empowered. It needs, the church needs to be taught the word, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. The church needs the wisdom of God. The church needs to have saints that are fearlessly obedient to whatever God says to do or whatever the Holy Spirit says to do. That's what the church needs. It needs to come alive again. It needs to be a living organism that's really, really doing something for God instead of, instead of just, not necessarily in every church, but instead of just playing religion every Sunday. Amen. And I've been to church before. And uh, I might as well have stayed home and watched the football game. It just, you know, it was because the football game at least was more exciting. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and while I look forward to heaven, and I do look forward to heaven, my attention really isn't very much on the sweet by and by. It's really on the nasty now and now. I mean, you know, believers need to live in the place of overcoming. And most believers, maybe not most, most that I know of, live in a place of defeat a lot of the time. It's just one problem after another, one defeat after another, uh, instead of one victory after another, instead of one conquest after another. We need to live in this place of, 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 of overcoming. I mean, we, we must be taught the word to know how to operate within the covenant that's spelled out to us in the Word of God. We gotta know how to do that. We, we, that has to be what we do. The Christian life should not be that complicated. Shouldn't be that complicated. And yet we make it complicated. We have all the rules and all the T's we gotta cross and then the I's we gotta dot. Uh, and, and we've made it where, where that, that, you know, you gotta follow these seven rules of faith in order to get your new Cadillac. <laughs> 
We have all these. The, the Christianity is not complicated. The Bible says in Second Corinthians, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It should not be complicated. It should be simple. It's as simple as this. Jesus said, it's all wrapped up right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You know what that means? Love God with everything you have. Love God. I mean, it means trusting Him, trusting His Word, no matter how things look, no matter how we feel, trusting Him, loving Him with everything we have. Not getting off track because I didn't get my way this one time. Not getting mad at God because somebody got in a car wreck or because my car didn't start this morning or you know, because my wife yelled at me today. No, no, it's, 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 it's no matter what I do, love Him. Selling out to what He's promised. Giving myself away. And then, secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's all wrapped up in that. I mean, those are the two commandments that Jesus said are the most important ones. That, that's, that, it's not, it's not as, as complicated as a lot of preachers try to make us think. It's not that complicated. I heard a story about an auto mechanic. He received a repair order for a car, and it read, Check for clunking sound when going around corners. So he took the car out for a test drive. He made a right turn, and a moment later he heard a clunk. He made a left turn, and a couple, minutes, a couple seconds later he heard another clunk back at the shop. He opened the trunk and discovered the problem. So he returned the, the, the car to the, the service counter and he wrote the notation to the service manager and said, removed bowling ball from trunk. <laughs> it's not that complicated. You know, we, try, we have big problems about a lot of things and sometimes they're just not that complicated. You know, a, a lot of people think, well, you know, they're just so lucky. They're just, they're just so lucky. Listen, the, living in God's promise, living in what God has called us to, is not a matter of luck. Now, let me be careful to say this. It's also not always a matter of ease. Because we do fight a fight of faith. It's not always, we're not always uh, uh, able to just sit. See, we, here's what we think. Walking by faith is sitting on the couch and letting God do everything. Now, walking by faith is fighting the fight of faith. It's doing what is necessary to overcome. So, Because you realize you can't be an overcomer until you overcome something. And so it's not a matter of luck. It's a matter of walking with God. I mean, we understand tonight that all of God's grace is released through the channel of faith. And we've talked about that before, that it is by, it is by faith that it might be by grace. It's faith comes and grace flows through that channel. Okay, that's, that's how it works. Ours is to believe what God has said. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.20, this is the amplified version, it says, For as many as are the promises of God, they find their yes answer in Him, in Christ. For this reason, we, we also utter the amen, so be it unto God, through Him, in His person, by His agency, to the glory of God. That verse says, He says yes when we claim the promise. We say amen to the promise. Amen means so be it. 
Here's what it means more specifically. So be it to me. That's why people say amen sometimes in the sermon if they're listening. They say amen. So be that to me. Some don't listen and they say amen at the inappropriate time. You know, they'll say, this, this nation's going to hell in a handbasket. Amen. That's a stupid time to say amen. <laughs> we live in this nation. We don't want that. We don't want that to be to us. Okay, so we need, we need, we need, to, we need to say the amen to the promise, to what the Word says. What God has said to us, that's what we say amen to. How about that verse I prayed just a few minutes ago? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Amen. And be in health. Amen. As your soul prospers. Amen. We want all of that. We don't want that. And Judas went and hanged himself. Amen. That's not what we want. Okay. We want what he's promised. We want that to happen. Ours is to make the confession of faith by saying amen. He says yes to everything that he's promised in his word. He said yes. Ours is to claim it, to say amen. So be it to me. I mean, we must determine in, his heart, in our hearts to make his word our reality by our faith in what he said. The word must become more real to us than the circumstance we're facing. That's why we say, so be it to me. That's what I want. Amen. It's not a matter of luck. It's a matter of faith believing what he has said. I heard about a, a, a woman whose husband had been in and out of a coma for several months. She stayed by his bedside every single day. One day when he came to, he motioned her and said, honey, could you come nearer? And, and, and he whispered, his eyes were full of tears. He said, you know what? You've been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you stayed right there. My health started failing and you were still by my side. You know what, Martha? What, dear? She gently asked and she's leaning toward him with tears coming to her eyes. And he said, I'm beginning to think, you're bad luck. <laughs> it's, it's not about luck. It's about what did God say? What does the Bible say? Listen to these verses. I've read these before and you've gotten away and I'm kind of swinging back to them. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus is speaking here. This is in red in, the, in your King James Bible. Verse 15 says, If you love me, he's talking, to, talking to, to his disciples and we are among them. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's no way to misinterpret that, is there? If you love me. The if is an important word here. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21 says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And if, if we love him, we will be loved of the Father. Everybody's loved of the Father, but this is a manifestation of God's love in our lives. And Jesus said, I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. We've, we know there's this proof of loving him, and that is having and keeping his word. All right? He wants to manifest himself, but that comes as we have and keep his word. 
Loving him is more than just saying, I love you. You know, I've heard people say all the time, well, I love the Lord. Well, then why did you rob the convenience store? Well, I love the Lord. Well, why don't you do what he says to do? Loving him is having his word and keeping his word. Okay, we will never be able to keep the word that we do not know. Right? That's pretty logical. If I don't know what he said, I can't keep that. It, when we keep his word, he manifests himself to us. That's what the church is in need of, is the manifestation of Jesus. We, we, we talked about this several weeks ago. We've shown that we must have, the word have means to have, to hold, to own, or possess. We must possess the word. We must own the word. We must take the word personally and make it our own. Not just, not just hear the sermon for somebody else. Yep, you know, I wish Ralph was here. He could really use this. No, it's, I, I have to possess it for me. I have to have his word and I have to keep his word. The word keep means to guard, observe, to keep your eyes upon. It means to treasure, to value, to practice. We have to own it and treasure it. We, we have to value it. I mean, we have to have that. We'll have to possess and own it as we treasure and practice if we really love Jesus. Isn't that good? Simple, right? It's not as simple to do as it is for me to talk about it. But we have, we have to do that. That means that the ignorance of his word would be out of the question. I mean, if I love him, I'm not going to be ignorant of what he said. I'm amazed when people say they love him, and I'm not questioning them or their motive, but scripturally, to say they love him and not know what he's ever said is, is really a tough one for me to, to, to receive. Because... He, he told us it's, it's, it's having and keeping His Word. Many people think that they've done God a favor by joining the church and getting baptized. And that now, because I did that, He owes heaven to me. That's Maybe, so maybe they get to go to heaven, but He doesn't owe it to anybody. But that doesn't mean I love Him. Having and keeping the Word requires learning and thinking a different way. Having and keeping the word requires renewing your mind because you can't have it and keep it if, you don't, if you're not thinking right. So we know this, just doing the word and not being, I mean, just, just hearing the word and not being a doer, the scripture says in James chapter one, is self-deception. We have to not only hear the word, we must do what it says. Mary said to the servants at the wedding feast where Jesus was making the wine, whatever he says to you, do it. The end of that story was Jesus turned the water into wine, all the things happened, and it says that Jesus manifested himself, manifested his glory is what it says. Isn't that what we want? A manifestation of his glory. They heard the word, they did the word, and manifestation came. Isaiah 55 tells us that the wicked need to for, forsake their thoughts. In other words, it's possible for people to forsake thoughts. We need to learn how to forsake any thought. A wicked thought is any thought that contradicts the Word of God, right? Wouldn't that be a wicked thought if it says the Word is wrong? Have you ever said the Word is wrong? 
I know, I, I, I probably have because people say, well, I know what the Bible says, but you're just now getting ready to say the Bible's not right, and I am. That's wicked. It's very wicked to think that to think that I, well, I'm just I'm just an old rotten sinner. I'm just no good. That's a wicked thought because it absolutely contradicts the word. I'm just being humble. No, no, you're being very very proud because what you just said is what you think is more important than what God said. Those are wicked thoughts. We are supposed to forsake those thoughts. The only way to forsake those kind of thoughts are to replace them with word thoughts. And this good so far. We, we need to forsake those. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now notice it didn't say let this brain be in you. Your brain is a part of your physical body. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your soul is that immaterial part of you that is connected to your spirit. And when you leave your body, your mind goes with you, as do your will and your emotions. And so the scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're supposed to have the mind of the anointed Jesus. We're supposed to have that mind. We're, to, we're, we're supposed to. With His Word, we have the opportunity to think like Him. What, what did He think? He thought the Word. Because every thought that He thought came from God. Because He was God, but He was man. But He only thought the Word. And He only spoke the Word. Every word that He spoke came from thoughts that came from God. Everything He said was the Word of God. We're to have that kind of mind. We're supposed to learn how to think just like that. I love it. It says, let that mind. In other words, it's my choice. I get to choose. I can either let, my, let that mind be in me or I can let the mind of the world be in me. We need to have that. We're, to keep his word, to have his mind, means I need to learn how to renew my mind so I can begin to think the right way. Romans 12 tells us, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We prove the will of God by having our mind renewed with His Word and not being forced into the mold of the way the world thinks. That, that, that's what that's talking about. We've got to tear down strongholds one thought at a time. We fight thoughts with words. The Word of God, and that way we build new strongholds. Listen to this scripture. I really like this. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above. Now, this is interesting. We know that His thoughts produce His words. We know that His words, according to Isaiah, He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher. We're to seek things that are above. We're to find out what God thinks. Those are above. When we're talking about seeking things that are above, we're talking about seeking what God thinks, seeking what God thinks about a thing, seeking God's Word. That's what it's talking about. We're seeking things that are higher, all right? We want Jesus to manifest himself in our lives, 
And so we want to get his word. We want to have it. We want to keep it. We want to possess it. We want to treasure it. And that is learning how to think higher than what we're thinking. Most of us sadly think according to the circumstances we find ourselves in. I was talking to a young lady just yesterday and we were talking about something that was very serious at work and she started to cry and I said, I'm sorry. You'll never make the right decision. You'll never make decisions right consistently if you are emotional. She stopped crying. She said, what? (laughs) And I said, you can only make right decisions when you are level-headed because if you're emotional, you're going to be panicked. You're going to be sad. You're going to make a decision out of an emotion. And I told her an emotion can't be the leader in your life. Y'all just hear that. That's pretty good, huh? If you're in a panic, that's not when you make the decision. If you're crying and you're all torn up, that's not when you make the decision. You make a decision after you've prayed, you've heard the Spirit. Now you can make a decision because it needs to come from the Spirit, not from your emotion or your feeling. And she had to be a Christian. I said, can I tell you something? The Bible says, so I talked to her about the Bible for a few minutes. And she quit crying. She said, okay, I can make a choice based on what you're telling me. That's how we make decisions. Okay, we, have, we, have to, we have to know. Jesus wants to manifest himself to us. Right? We have to know him. We have to keep his word. We have to have his word. We need to do that. First of all, the scripture said, if you, be, if you then be risen with Christ. Let me show you this for, just so you know. We are risen with Christ. The scripture says in Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Colossians 2, 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. We are risen with him. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So first of all, we got to know we are risen with him. So if we are risen with him, that's what this is talking about, we need to seek the things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And we need to set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. All right, so we have, to, we have to learn how to do that. It means we need to be seeking things that are that where, where heavenly truth is spoken by God to those who are in Christ. Not talking about heaven here, even though they do that in heaven. It's talking about heavenly reality that we are to walk in right now in this earth. That's what we're supposed to be seeking, the heavenly reality today. It's referring to heavenly revelation like the kind that Peter had when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father, which is in heaven. Talking about heavenly revelation that brings the kind of overcoming that's only available through a relationship with God by faith in His Word. The word affection, it says, set your affection. The word affection here literally means the exercising of the mind, the understanding, um, the thinking. In other words, it's not saying set your emotions. It's setting your affection, setting your mind, setting your understanding. Let me read the verse in the Amplified. It says it this way. If you then have been raised with Christ to new life, thus sharing His resurrection from the dead, 
aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. So we set our affection, we set our minds, we must set our minds on things which are above. Now, how do we do that? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty important. I used to think that means to sit around thinking about heaven all the time. That's kind of hard to do, though, if you have a job, right? How do you, how do you set your mind on things that are above? Well, I've already mentioned it to you. It's referring, it's referring to thinking according to the way the kingdom of God is ruled by the Word of God. It's learning to set your mind on what did God say? What did God promise? In regard to this circumstance, I set my mind on what He said, not what I see, not what I feel, not what I think I thought somebody may have said back 20 years ago. I set my mind on what did God say in His Word. I set my mind on it. I think about that. I'll tell you, you will get ulcers. You will have all kinds of problems if, you, if your mind is not fixed on what he said. You've got to remind yourself that you are favored. You are surrounded by favor. You have the hand of God on your life. What does the Bible say about you? And set your mind on that. And then when the devil comes and accuses you or the circumstance comes and violates that, your mind is already set and you go straight to that instead of everything else. We set our mind, okay? We set our mind. I mean, it's not talking about thinking about heaven. It's setting our mind on what God promised. You set your alarm clock to go off in the morning so you'll behave in a certain manner, right? You set it. You set your mind. We program or set our minds in such a way that we'll behave in a certain manner in certain situations and conditions. You set your mind. You set your mind. The psalmist said, my mind is fixed. We set our mind. We set our mind. Because we want to make sure that when, the, when everybody else, is, when, the, when the world system is going through their chaos, we are going through peace. Amen. I mean, I found out they've been through lots of recessions. And I didn't go through any of them. Because I set my mind in the beginning of them. Because the Bible doesn't say that's what God's people have. We program our minds. We set our minds. I mean, to set them means we must not only seek the will and plan of God, we must learn to think the will and plan of God. Think it. I mean, you meditate in these things. What does it mean to meditate? It means to mutter, to utter, to speak to yourself over and over again. You meditate in the scripture, meditate in the promise, meditate in what he said to you as he promised you something. Why would we panic over it? I love this. We set our mind. It's not a sin to think like the earth unless that thinking detracts you from thinking according to his system. It's okay. It's okay to like to watch football as long as you don't cuss like they do on the field. It's okay to like, to like the music we heard tonight. As long as that doesn't just d- distract me from this eternal purpose that God has put in me. You know, I mean, when, the, when, it, when it gets tough, I don't want my confession to be, can't buy me love. 
for my confession to be, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. So you have to learn. We, 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 have to, we, have to, we have to make that work in our hearts. I mean, we, we have to do that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. What time is it here? Okay. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Why does it use the word mind there, do you think? Well, because the word mind means to think like. They that are after the flesh do think like the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit think like the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I mean, to think like the flesh way of thinking, that's any thought that contradicts the Word. Any thought that brings fear, any thought that brings confusion, any thought that, makes, that, you know, that brings that dread inside of you. Those are the thoughts you've got to stop. That's the way the world thinks. That's what the news media is all about, to get you in fear. Oh, man, if you get that guy elected, all of your freedoms are gone. Oh, and he's probably going to get elected. The fear, the dread. We've got to not be carnally minded. We must become spiritually minded. We must mind the things of the Spirit. I mean, we can't mind the things of the world. We're talking about life and death here, right? That's what it said. Because it says, for the carnally minded is death. The spiritual minded is life and peace. By the way, let me just throw this out. Death, the word death in both the Greek and the Hebrew doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. To think like the world will separate you from something. Well, it'll separate you from what's spiritual with regard to God. And I'll read another scripture later if I have time. We can't be carnally minded. The only way to know if your thinking lines up with the Word is to know what the Word says. Not what you think it says through assumption or tradition. You know, I've told you the story of the lady that I talked to one time and talked to her about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She was a good Baptist girl. And she said, wait, now wait, now wait. Our preacher said to forbid to speak with other tongues. And I said, really? I happened to have a Gideon Bible in my back pocket in those days. Pulled it out. Turned to the scripture. I said, look at this. It says, forbid not to speak with other tongues. She said, what kind of Bible is that? <laughs> And I said, it's the exact one that you got in the fifth grade, honey. It's a King James Bible. And then she began to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit because she saw it in the Word. But before that, she assumed the Bible said something it did not say. We have to make sure we know what it says. The Bible says, Jesus said that, that, that the traditions make the Word of God of none effect. We have traditions that aren't the Word. They're making the Word of no effect in our lives. And that's a dangerous place to be. We must know what it says. That's why we're here tonight, right? To find out what it says, and you're doing it on your own as well. I mean, we've got to discover that the Word is true. I mean, how, how, how can we mind the things of the Spirit? Jesus said in John 6.63, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit.
and they are life. To mind the things of the Spirit is to mind the Word, to think the Word. We need to have that. We need to be spiritually minded. We must be word-minded. And I tell you, that is a discipline in your life, in my life. We must continue every day to, to build on our repertoire of the Word. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how you could go back and read a verse a second, third, 25th time, and all of a sudden it means something totally different to you today? Isn't it funny that you'll go back and say, I didn't know that was in the Bible. <laughs> but you've read it over and over. Or you get a revelation about it. And then four days later you forget it. Because I'm telling you, Jesus said that this enemy comes like a bird on a, at a seed in the dirt. And he will pluck it away from you if you let him do it. And that's what he wants to do. I mean, Adam and Eve, man, remember, they thought they could gain knowledge from a source other than what God said. That's what they thought. Because the devil came and he gave them another item on the menu. Gave them another option to choose from. I mean, if you go into the restaurant, it only says, it says beans and cornbread. That's all that's on the menu. If you're going to eat there, what are you going to get? Beans and cornbread. But as soon as they had hamburgers, now you got a choice. Well, the devil gave them another choice. The Word of God says, the day you eat of it, you will die. Here's the second choice. But you won't die. You'll be like God. Sadly, they were already like God. And they gave it up. They found the knowledge in the tree. What it contained brought them death. Because the Scripture says, Jesus, the Lord said, in the day you eat thereof, you die. They died. What happened? They were separated. They didn't die physically. They were separated. I mean, they were not annihilated, they were separate. They were banished from the garden. And the garden was God's plan for their lives. They were separated from the promise that they had. That's the result of wrong thinking. We must be renewed in the spirit of our minds so we can live in the plan of God. We must gain knowledge from His Word and learn how to think right. Now, I'm just going to give you, if, if you don't have a word habit... Do not start in the book of Revelation. Start, as I always tell people, start in the gospel of Mark. It's simple, not complicated. You know, John, I love John too. And most people tell you start in John. It's more complicated than Mark. Mark is the simplest, quickest gospel to read. 16 chapters, I mean, it is easy and it is full of action. But you've got to start somewhere. Right? We, we must, we must change the way we think so we can get the plan. We, we, we gain it from His Word so we can learn to think right. The only way, if you had a cup of dirty water and that cup, of, that cup is, say it was nailed to this table and you couldn't get the cup up, you couldn't pick it up and dump the dirty water out, how could you fill that cup with clean water? Pick up the table? No, no, you can't pick up the table. That's because we can't pick up the table. You just have to pour clean water in it clean over and over and over and the clean water gets the dirty water out and eventually it's totally changed. That's how we renew our mind. We renew them one thought at a time. We renew them with the Word of God over and over and over and over until the other stuff is gone. That's what we have to do. That's how we renew our mind. And it's not a one-time event. It's, it's a lifetime conquest. 
we, for the rest of our lives, we pursue God and His Word. Pursue them over and over. I mean, we just don't. We train our minds through the Word, through constant and consistent repetition, until one day we know it by heart. Really by heart. We call knowing it by heart today is really more of the mind. But we want it in our heart, deep inside of us. I mean, no change can be accomplished if the mind isn't renewed. Pouring the word in. The prodigal son, he messed it up as well. He, he got out there, got away from his dad and is feeding the pigs, you know, the story. And everything is bad because he made all bad decisions based on emotion. I mean, he made this choice and he left. He got out there, he's feeding pigs and I mean, he's not supposed to be around pigs. Luke 15, 17 says, and when he came to himself, I mean, all of a sudden he gets back in his right mind. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. He left because of wrong thinking. He returned because of renewed thinking. He had enough time with the pigs to begin to learn how to think right. I love the verse in 24 when it says, the father says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Was he dead? No, he was separated. He was separated from the promise, separated from his inheritance because of wrong thinking. And he was united with right thinking. Let me read you one, one, one more large passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And, and, uh, wait a minute, who was Ephesians written to, by the way? Christians at the church at Ephesus. He's talking to them and telling them not to walk in the vanity of their mind. This little phrase, vanity of their minds, means minds devoid of truth. Contrary, thoughts contrary to the Word of God. I mean, covenant people don't need to think contrary to the Word. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, now listen to what happens when the understanding when you, when you when you get away from that. Their understanding is darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They're separated. They're alienated. That, that's talking about death here. Separation. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Lasciviousness means unrestrained, bridal result. That comes as a result of not thinking right. Then it goes on to say, but, we, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off, talking to Christians now, you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's talking about Christian people. When he's talking about the old man here, he's not talking about the unborn again man. He's talking about men who are thinking wrong by not having their mind renewed. That's what he's talking about. And, and they're alienated. They're, 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 they're not attached to the plan of God. I mean, when we get born again, we still will wear the old man unless we take time to renew the mind. Yeah. This is how I think. If I'm preaching to lost people, the number one message they need to hear is receive Jesus as your Lord. If I'm preaching to Christians, the number one message they need to hear is have your mind renewed. 
because that's where Christians win or lose the fight. We, 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 must, we must learn how to think like the Word. We must renew the spirit of our minds, not just, not, 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 not just getting it just into our thoughts, but in our whole being, learning to think like the Word so that it becomes what you think about without having to make a righteous decision, to, a conscious decision to do so. We must fill the spirit of our minds until it becomes the way we think. Anybody ever drive a four-speed on the floor? Remember starting to remember learn how to drive it? Oh man, you just all the jerking that you did. And then, and if you got back into it today, you just could drive it, right? You don't even have to think about it. That's what we're talking about here: filling our mind over and over and over until it becomes the way we think. It's, when you get offended, you don't have to think about forgiving them. You just can do that. It, it just happens. The, la- the last verse of that, of, that, of that passage I was reading says this, and that you put on the new man, that's the one who's thinking right, after which God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. That's the new man. He agrees with the word of God. Jesus said, if we love him, We'll, we'll have, we'll keep His commandments. Our true test is, is the obedience to the Word. I mean, we'll never be able to keep or observe the Word unless our minds are renewed. Then we're going to get this manifestation of Jesus in our lives. And that's what's going to be awesome. We'll have it. So we have to have our mind renewed. We have to think right. We have to, what we have to do is, we, how do we get this happen? By words, by hearing the right words and to overwhelm our minds with the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your Word. I thank you just for the Word that gives us a map that tells us what we can do for life and peace, to be spiritually minded. There's life and peace. Lord, help us identify thoughts that contradict your word. Help us to, to, to find in your word the things that we need to combat the thoughts of the world. Lord, I thank you that we're not under its curse, but we have the blessing of Abraham. Jesus became the curse. We thank you tonight for your word. I pray tonight that this message would stir us up even more than we have in the past about finding the treasure of your word. We thank you tonight. We honor you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.